0: So, um, you know, I, I just, along the lines of, of how we respond to God, we've been talking about, you know, our response and our mindset and, and understanding um, the love of Jesus for us. Um, I, I saw something, my wife posted something today that I thought was just so good. Um, what's that? God's love is not based on me, it's placed on me. Oh, yeah. And I should live a life of His love. Yeah, Lisa Turkhurst, or I don't know how you say her name, but God's love is not based on me, it's placed on me. So I just want you to think about that for a minute. I want to read out of, the, out of Luke chapter 15. It's the prodigal... Uh, The classic story of the prodigal son. There's lots of lessons to learn, but just some things that I wanted to bring out to you um, in these last few minutes that we have together. Then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? Now listen to this next line very closely. So the father went ahead and distributed among the... Two sons, their inheritance. Two sons. So this older son, which we'll find him later on in the story, he got his inheritance at the same time as the younger son. Both sons were given their inheritance. We see two sons who both lived in want for different reasons. The older son, maybe even worse... Uh, The prodigal, because of his foolishness, obviously, and the older son, maybe even worse, was living with all the good things right within his reach, but never took advantage of it. I think that's a worse travesty than, than the prodigal. Honestly, to have all the goodness of God right within your reach and you just never grab any of it. So we see here in verse 13, shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to, sounds like our our two older boys. Uh, He journeyed to a far off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. With everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry for there was a severe famine in that land. The Bible, they use the word hungry here. Uh, Other translations said he began to be in want. Now there's all different type of wants for us. There's physical need wants that each and every one of us needs. We need a roof over our head and you know, shelter and we need food in our belly and clothes on our back and hopefully you know, power in that home. Those are simple physical needs, but there are needs that are just really important as well, like the needs of a man's soul, the needs of your soul and what you need. Uh, there's, there's spiritual needs. We, we have so many different things. But they began to be, he began to be in want. I believe he began to be in want not only because he was hungry, but he began to be in want because he was empty. And so what we see here is, is he spent everything on reckless living. Now, I want to point something out to you because I don't think some of you realize this. When we see this, we go, and with everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry. But later on in the story, we find out that his father had servants at home. How many of you have servants at home right now? Oh, nobody? Oh, okay. This guy was rich. So guess what? When he had divided his inheritance to his youngest son and his older son, that boy was partying his brains out. Could have been for years. Could have been for years that he was doing that. And I think a lot of times, we think because we don't know what the length of time was, that it must have been short, and it definitely was not. So I'm going to tell you this tonight, parents. Take heart. Your time is coming. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. It's not a matter of if, it's, it's a matter of when. And I'm talking about those of you who have kids who maybe they're not living wild, but maybe they're just not living connected to Jesus. They're not experiencing His love, they're not experiencing His, his, his provision, they're not experiencing His power, they're not experiencing Him all, it's just religion is kind of like dead. We're not after that. We're all about relationship and experience. But listen, Stephanie, who just came up here tonight and shared a word from God with you, was on the streets, wrecked, homeless at times, totally strung out on drugs. But Miss Stephanie kept praying and praying and praying, and now this is one of the most sensitive girls that I know to the Holy Spirit. She's just, she's just got an amazing gift and God uses her in a wonderful way. Um, you should be out there when she's, you know, she's out there street evangelizing too. She cracks me up. This girl has no fear whatsoever. I love that about her. But look, if God can do it for Stephanie, whatever the name of your kid is, he can do it for them. So take heart, parents, take heart. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The fu- okay, so, so here's the prodigal going, I know what I'll do. Still not go home yet. I know what I'll do. I'll go and join myself to someone and work for them. Then I'll, then I'll have food. You know, that's what my dad did. So that's what I'll go do. The son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Understand this, before coming home, prodigals will try a lot of times every other thing. That's just just the normal course in action. So why do we get freaked out and why do we get so despondent when we know we've placed them in the Father's hands? Place those prodigals there. It may not be a child. It may be a niece, a nephew, a grandchild, whatever. Place them right there. It's so difficult when we know the answers. And we should tell them, Right? I'm going to tell you nine times out of ten, you're not the person that God will use to bring them back. You're just not. So where you go, you know, I better make sure they at least know that I disapprove of this. I don't want them to think I approve of this. What's your disapproval going to do? You don't think the Holy Spirit's bigger than your disapproval? I'm just saying out loud what we all think. I'm saying out loud how we all process. And the sad thing is, it's so difficult because we know the answer. I just want to say boom. But you can't. You can't do it. Can't do it. You just got to keep silent unless the Holy Spirit whacks you over the head and says, say this. Parents, I'm just telling you. Let Jesus take care of. Just pray this. Father, I thank you you're sending laborers. Across the path of speaking to them, ministering to them, loving them. It's not a matter of if Jesus will, like I said, but it's when. Love is the only thing that will speak to them. Not your known disapproval. You don't have to voice it. Love keeps the door open because they're going to need you. At some point, they're going to need you. So what love does is it keeps that door open. Now, Let's make sure we understand. I am not saying that you continually throw money into their bad behavior and bail them out and do those things. That's between you and Jesus, and only you and Jesus know what that looks like. But there is a place where love will be give them nothing. That sometimes will be a place. And as a parent, because I'm the parent of three... It is the most difficult thing in the world to do. When you know you could help, but it's not going to help. So what we need to do is we just really need to trust that God will lead us and guide us. Now verse 17 says this, Humiliated, the son finally realized what he was doing and he thought, There are many workers at my father's house who have all the food they want and plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating their slop? Do you think that he came up with this all by himself? Who do you think said this in his head that it started to make sense? The Father. Because here's the bottom line, everybody, and you could say it with me if you know it. He knows. He cares. He's working. He knows. He cares. He's working constantly and so when the devil like when the devil is beating richard's head in with you know what you're not gonna make it you're gonna blah 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 he knows he cares and he's working now i i don't personally know how richard made it having two valves needing to be replaced another valve that's leaking in a hole in his heart how how he even made it is a miracle of god anyway but his bottom line was he knows he cares he's working and your bottom line is say it with me he knows he cares he's working and we know that for a fact most translation give the idea that he came to his senses fortunately a lot of prodigals come to the point of desperation or worse humiliation before making that turn to come home notice the process of thinking that jesus is involved in a worker in my father's house and they don't lack anything if jesus understands the process of a person's life and yet allows for them to come to good conclusion, even in the midst of bad fruit from wrong choices, shouldn't we? That was a great place for an amen. Amen. Here's my question to you. What are you offering the prodigal when they come home? More dead religion? Rules and regulation instead of relationship? Relationship? This is the worst. Someone else's manna that we don't personally own? Let me explain. You know, so-and-so said, You know, and that person said, and this person said, what about what Jesus is saying to you? I think it's great that Lisa Turkhurst is a gift of God, but I can't look to Lisa Turkhurst for, for what the Holy Spirit wants to do in my life. I thank God for gifts and callings like that, but the bottom line is, is, what is Jesus saying to you? Okay. Waiting on your prodigal to come home so everything will be alright isn't proper preparation while they're gone. While your prodigal is gone, you should be diving deep into relationship with Jesus. So you'll have something to give them when they turn. I tell my boys this all the time. Guys, I'm so sorry that I didn't raise you with the Jesus that I've come to know in the last five years. And they look at me kind of cockeyed. I said, I raised you with the rules and regulation, Jesus. I raised you with when you blow it, you know, you get beat up. I raised you in a way that you got condemned and shamed if you didn't do right. That's not my Jesus. And so the best I can do now is just show kindness and love the best that i know how and encourage them that this jesus that i've talked to him about he's different so i have something different to offer them now make experiencing him a daily priority every day guys every day a prodigal said i want to go back home to my father's house and i'll say to him father i was wrong i've sinned against you i'll never be worthy To be called your son please father just treat me like one of your poise this is where most people live right now after they sin well that's it you know i mean i'm gonna have to sit here for a while and kind of you know um i'm not worthy because i'm so disappointed in myself and i translate that as god's disappointed in me and i'm not on the good list anymore he's not santa claus There is no good list. We're all on the good list. Pastor John, how can you say that? Because I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, because He who knew no sin became sin for me, that I might become the righteousness of God in Christ. Because of that? Because of that and that alone. I'm on the good list. So guess what? When I blow it and I go to Jesus, and I I don't hang my head in shame, and I go to Jesus and say, you know what? I blew it. You already know that. But I thank you that you've already forgiven me. That's already been forgiven. So I thank you for that, Lord. And I thank you that the Bible says you'll lead me in the way of righteousness. So I'm thanking you for that right now, Jesus. That's the way I come to him. And I I say out of my mouth, and I'm still on the good list. (laughs) Because you are on the good list. Penance doesn't have to be paid for a while. The anguish of doing wrong is simply your spirit telling you, ooh. Oops, you missed the mark. It doesn't have to be followed with, you're horrible, you're awful. How can you call yourself a Christian? You moron, you idiot, you dummy. Am I saying what kind of like the dialogue going in your head is sometimes? When you do something really stupid and you go, ah, oh, I'm such an idiot. Anybody? Nobody's ever done that before, huh? Yeah. And we beat ourselves up, just beat ourselves up over. And we call this being a good Christian. Because, of course, you know that unless I'm able to beat myself up well, I can't be a good Christian. Good Christians are ones who can beat themselves up. Listen, Jesus isn't put off by sin or you missing it. He's like this. It's okay. Come here. It's okay. Now, am I encouraging you to sin? I feel like I've got to say this every single time. Am I encouraging you to sin? Heck no. No, no. I'm trying to teach you something to empower you to live free from those things that enslave you. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to empower you. I'll be worthy again to expect God's goodness once I establish a couple good things that I do so that I feel good about myself. Never said that? As long as I can establish a couple now I feel better about myself. See, I feel better about myself. You're still walking in a in a in a in a devil type of worldly righteousness. It's not according to what you can do and what you could say. Verse 20, so the young son set off for home. Boy, this kid's smart. From a long, I love this, and we've talked about this before. From a long distance away, his father saw him coming, dressed as a beggar, and great compassion swelled up in his heart for his son who was returning home. So the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms. He hugged him dearly, and he kissed him over and over with tender love. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. Can you see when you blow it and you come before God that he's, pulling you in, kissing you all over. He's not even talking to you about the what you did or how you blew it. He's just celebrating that you're home. That's our Father. What does your picture look like when you come to God to talk about how you blew it? What does that look like? Or maybe you hide in shame for a couple days until you you know, you, you figure, well, I've got to just really let this godly sorrow work repentance. And what they call godly sorrow is, I'm bad, I'm horrible, I can't do this, I can't live righteously, I can't get free from this addiction, I can't, I can't, I can't. That's not God's plan for you. I said, that's not God's plan for you. It sure isn't. Turning to his servants, the father said, quick, Condemn him more, make him do fifty push-ups. No, quick, bring me the best robe, my very own robe, and I'll place it on his shoulders. Bring me the ring, the son of sealship, uh, seal of sunship, seal of sunships. What did I say? This, this. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> I don't have dyslexia. And I will put it on his finger and bring out the best shoes you can find for your son. So just in case you didn't know, the robe is how God restores honor and dignity to you. His robe was the finest in the house. And he put it on his son. And he said, honor and dignity I'm going to place on you. Because his son probably stunk up to high heaven. Can you imagine? Probably smelled awful puts his beautiful coat right on his son. The ring declares his position, you have power and authority in my house. The shoes represent sonship because the servants did not wear sandals. So he's saying, you're my son, you have authority in my house. And Here's some honor and dignity. Just in case you were thinking you're a piece of garbage. No, you're not. You're a precious treasure. Let's prepare, let's prepare a great feast and celebrate. For this beloved son of mine was once dead, but now he's alive again. Once he was lost, but now he's found. And everyone celebrated with overflowing joy. Now the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of the servants and said, What's going on? The servant replied, It's your younger brother. He's returned home and your father's thrown a party to celebrate his homecoming. The older son became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, Come and enjoy a feast with us. Why did he get angry? The situation became about what the younger son deserved, but even more about what the older son thought he deserved. How many of you have walked the line with Jesus? You know, you're towing the line, man. You know, I'm really, I'm really good at not walking in sin. That's me. I toe the line. You know, you're toeing the line. You're walking that line. You're, you know, you're really good at resisting sin and everything else, right? You're just, I mean, your righteousness is better than everybody else's righteousness. It's a lot people are laughing right now, but there's people in this room who've actually practiced that, and they're going, "Oh my gosh, this is messed up." But he's trying to say, hey, what about me? I've been faithful in your house. How many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you asked as a faithful son, and never once did I disobey you. But you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. Never once you even gave me the goat that I could feast on to celebrate with my friend, like he's doing this, this now. But look at this son of yours. He comes back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living, and here you are throwing a grace feast to celebrate him. Older son's going, why am I not getting what I deserve? And then the father says this, My son, you are always with me by my side. And everything I have is yours to enjoy. I want you to start considering getting reckless with God. Like really reckless. Like crazy expectation. Like like that debt that you have, that's like twenty and $30,000 that God's actually going to pay that sucker off. Or you see yourself as this person who I've always just barely got enough. No, no, no. Jesus wants to give you so much that you have more to, than enough to give to others. I want you to start breaking the mindset. I want you to start dreaming this week. Start dreaming this week and going, if the sky was the limit, what would I want? Have you ever taken the time to just think about that for a minute? Or are we so bogged down in life that we're just like, oh, I'm just barely getting to the next place on time and doing the other things and paying the bills. And You've got to take time to dream and say, man, my father owns the cattle on a thousand hills and that's all at my disposal. What do I need God for, to, to do for me this week? Why, can you do that this week? Can you dare yourself to just dream? about what God would have for you and then just say, you know what? Jesus, because of what you've done for me and because I simply believe in what you've done for me, I receive that in Jesus' name. And I thank you, Father, right now the angels of heaven are working overtime to get whatever it is over to me. So I'm going to really encourage you this week. If you've walked in that discouragement, if you've walked in that you know, um, just things are never going to turn out for me. Take a moment, kick back, and start to rehearse. My wife does something I think is really cool. She does a thankful log, and she starts to just list things she's thankful for. What are you up to? Four years. She just starts to think of what she's thankful for and start. With everything that happened the day before. Has anybody even taken the time to do that? Who's got the time to take the time to think about that, right? We just don't take the time. But the Lord is good, and His mercy endures forever. So take the time this week to dream and just let God fill your heart. Say, God, I don't even know what to dream. Just fill my heart with something. Can you have every head bowed, every eye closed? Father, thank you tonight that you're just so good to us. That you're kind and you want us to experience your goodness and your mercy and your your help. So I'm just asking you tonight that if there's somebody here that doesn't know you in a personal way, they're not experiencing you in a personal way, I pray that you would do that for them tonight. God, if there's anybody here tonight who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior but wants to, thank you just give them the courage to pray this prayer I'm going to pray in a moment or you've not really been walking with you you've given your heart to Jesus but and you just haven't really been walking with him and you want to pray this prayer with me and everybody's going to pray it with you say heavenly father I come to you now by the blood of Jesus I thank you all my sin has been forgiven past, present, and future. I receive of everything good that you have to offer me. Show me your love. Help me to understand your kindness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you prayed that for the first time tonight, I want you to come up because we're going to have some folks up here at the end that will pray with you. Um, I just want you to come up and just let them know, hey, I prayed that for the first time tonight. Let them encourage you a little bit, all right? And then there'll be people up here tonight that if you need prayer for anything, they'll be ready and available to pray for you. All right, well, Father, we thank you tonight for all the good things that you're doing, all the good things that you're going to do. And Lord, we just thank you this week that you would fill our heart with a dream to dream big about what you want to do for us and how you want to help us. And we trust you and give you all the praise in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. 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 God bless you. We'll see you next week. Have a good week.